Welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Today, I am joined by sports presenter and podcast host, Rachel Stringer. Growing up, Rachel had big dreams of pursuing a career as an 800 metre runner, competing for Team GB throughout her teenage years and winning silver at the Commonwealth Youth Games. Though she continued running through her time at Loughborough University and beyond, several setbacks meant that Rachel had to take time out from running, deciding that she would revisit it if she didn't find another career she enjoyed. After gaining an internship at BBC Leicester, Rachel began to pursue a career in TV, getting her big break when she got a runner job at the London 2012 Paralympic Games. Still unsure of what she wanted to do, Rachel continued to work in TV behind the scenes until the show she was working on unfortunately got axed and she was made redundant. However, Rachel was then given an interesting opportunity. Approached by the channel she was working for, she was asked whether she'd like the chance to train as a presenter. Despite never having the desire to be in front of camera, Rachel accepted. The following years were busy ones, travelling around the world from Tobago to Japan, South America and China, and reporting at huge sporting events such as the Championship and FA Cup Finals and Wimbledon. Rachel now continues to present globally and has also recently started a podcast which she co-hosts with Amana Rai called Keep Running. Rachel's 20s journey just goes to show that goals and plans can change and that when they do, it is something to celebrate. Good opportunities can come out of bad situations and often in a way we'd never expect. Rachel, welcome to 20 Not Something. Oh, thanks, Emma. I love that. I was literally like, yep. Oh, gosh, I did that. Yep. Cool. <laughs> Very nice introduction. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. How have you been? How was your ridiculously manic day yesterday? Yeah, fine. I um, was working is such a long one. You know, when you're on a new kind of job, it's like a first day at school. I was um, presenting a new esports motorsport show and it was a little bit chaotic. Um, and we kind of recorded five shows in a day. I didn't expect oh my that. God. So um wore the wrong shoes. My feet were so sore after it standing like pretty much in, in one spot for about... 12 hours. Um, oh, God. And then I couldn't sleep. Yeah. So oh, whatever. No. <laughs> it's even worse than like running around though, like standing still for that long. I don't know how you do it. For sure. Do. It is. It, when you're moving, <laughs> it's a little bit easier, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to kick things off asking you the same question I ask everyone. And that is looking back when you were looking into your 20s decade, what did you want the most? Yeah. I mean, when I guess I'm going to go a little bit further back, I guess it was kind of my teens. Mm-hmm. I just, like you said in the introduction, thought I was going to go to the Olympic Games. Um, ever since I was 12, I think, when I won a school sports day race and I told my dad I was really fast at running um, and I wanted to go, yeah, to a, a club. I was like, please, can you take me to the running club? Um, because I'm I'm fast. I beat my best friend at 200 metres at sports day and you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be good at this dad. So he took me along to the city of Norwich. It was at the time. And yeah, all through my kind of teenage years and up until my twenties, really, I thought running was it. Um, it was 800 meters I did. And that's the reason actually why I went to Loughborough because I'm, I'd looked at a few universities 
And I even thought about going to America. I got offered um, a chance to go over to Florida and study over wow. there. Um, but Loughborough, at the time I was on uh, UK athletics funding. So on um, one of the rungs of that, which was kind of like a potential to one day possibly go to the Olympics, which is my plan. And actually for me, Loughborough made more sense because that was the UK athletic setup. They had a high performance center there. The coach that was part of that setup that I was going to go and be trained by, he was there and it was a little bit closer to home. So that was always my goal. And I thought I'd do sports science because it kind of pairs up nicely and it would almost help my running career as well, like the psychology aspects of it. And mm. I could kind of branch out later on if I wanted to into a side of that. So maybe marketing or something like that. That was the the plan in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Don't always work out, do they? But- <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they definitely don't. No, Loughborough is such an incredible place to be. Um, I went as well and I just love, you know, it's not just the stadiums and the, the incredible facilities, but it's the people as well. Everyone up there is so motivated and driven to, you know, do exactly what you were doing, which was to have this dream of being at the Olympics. Um, having started running professionally in your teens and having had quite a lot of success already, did you feel that like your love for the sport lessened as you were taking it more seriously or did it just grow and grow? Yeah, I think so. Um, when I was training at home in Norwich, it was just so much fun. It was um, my kind of hobby with my best mates. I used to go gosh, every single night, pretty much a week. And it was hanging out with your friends and enjoyable. And I think when I got to Loughborough, I think it was all too close in proximity. I used to like Mm. the drive from my parents' house, half an hour away, putting my music on and kind of getting in the zone. At Loughborough, it was very much, I lived and breathed athletics. Like I lived Mm. with athletes. I um, went in the sports block called Butler you might remember that oh yeah 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 it was pretty intense um and on my haul I had like uh one of the best in the world hurdlers sprint hurdlers I had one of the kind of GB genius 3000 meter girls so it was super intense and I didn't really like that and especially then when you went down to the track I'm saying down it was probably like 500 meters away from my front door. Um, the warm up should have been fun and hanging out with mates. All the girls in the group were like headphones in, in the zone. Don't talk to me. I'm doing my warm up on my own, mm. single minded. And, you know, that wasn't for me what it was about. Um, and it took the fun out of it. It really did. And didn't really want to do it. I had um, quite a lot of injuries as well, which I know a lot of people have. But I think when you kind of, away from home, not really enjoying it. Um, mm. It's that transitional period, I think. Um, and I wasn't really in the right headspace to uh, kind of pursue it at that time. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think so. That's that's really hard to come to terms with, though, because, um, I mean, I've spoken on this podcast um, with previous athletes about readjusting to the normal lifestyle. And I think it, it must almost be even harder to come to terms with at such a young age when you haven't had the career that you thought that you would have to then be able to transition back into, OK, so what do I do now? Um, did you struggle with that when when that sort of came about? Um, I don't know. I think I just decided. So I kind of got um the BBC Radio Leicester kind of job basically someone at uni said what do you want to do and I was like I have no idea um love sport obviously love athletics mm-hmm. is there anything I can do and he said oh there's this inter- internship every year called 
uh, kickoff sports reporters ran by the BBC. And it's a six week kind of introductory course to, I'm going to say loosely being a sports reporter. Um, you just kind of know your way around a, you know, radio studio and learn a few little basic skills, I guess. And so I applied for that, got it. And I guess it, I quickly found that that was quite enjoyable. So I guess it filled the, the running hole that had been left open quite quickly. Mm. But, um, I guess it was radio and I didn't really fit with radio at the time. It wasn't, it was, hate set, quite stuffy. Um, <laughs> one of a, one of a lot of old men and I was like, oh no, is this what I'm going to go into? Is this the, the working mm. world? Um, <laughs> so I did, you know, I did try and pursue running a bit more because in my younger days, I was on camp with Kelly. It was this um, kind of middle distance junior mentoring group sat with Kelly Holmes and she was kind of like trying to keep you all in the sport, obviously, and especially building up to 2012, the London Games. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the aim of this project. So, you know, she was there in the background as like a helping hand. And a lot of the girls I'd ran kind of against in my earlier life were, were there. But um, mentally, I don't know, like I just wasn't particularly in it. Like just before I went to uni, um, my brother unfortunately passed away. So I think that was like quite a big point for me going, I wasn't quite ready mentally to focus on something as draining as running if you get what I mean so I think yeah you know you go to Loughborough for me that was a transitional period to kind of reset from that what had happened at home and go okay I'm not quite there mentally to focus on the running side of things but you know what something else can make me as happy and if I want to go back Kelly Holmes didn't win her medal still just 34 I was like you know what I got years so yeah um, yeah yeah, such a good role model to have as well. Um, I always listen to her podcast with um, well, one with Fern Cotton, and when she said, "I didn't realize that she that she won her medal so late," and actually that yeah. must have been quite reassuring for you as a young runner to be like, "Actually, no, I need to take this time," and then maybe in the future, who knows? Yeah, I think that's super important as well. Like now, which I still apply to everything, is the fact that I think we now live in this society where everyone wants everything right now, mm-hmm. and you know what? It's it's fine. Um, you don't have to look at people and they've got success super quickly. Some people's journeys take a lot longer and you, you go the scenic route and you enjoy more things on the way. That's how I like yeah. to look at it. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I need to live my life more like that. <laughs> the scenic drive always is my life. Yeah. Like, yeah, just go round and round, but take in everything on the way and you always get there yeah. in the end. <laughs> oh, that's great advice. So when you started working in TV, did that affirm anything to you career-wise or were you still quite uncertain that that was the route that you wanted to go down? Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, I've originally started in entertainment, actually, probably more similar (laughs) to you. Um, I kind of ran on Big Brother and some kind of entertainment documentary kind of shows, but then I got this uh, chance to work on the Olympics and that was actually through me kind of emailing the head of this company pretty much every month for about a year. I literally oh was like, please, can I have a job? Like I'm obsessed with the Olympics. Used to be a runner. I wish I was going to be there. Didn't work out. And um, he was always like, you haven't got enough experience, you know, kind of age old thing. You need to go and get experience. But how do you get it? Mm-hmm. If you haven't got it, it's one of mm-hmm. those, isn't it? Um, I don't really know. I probably made some stuff up, sorry, on my email. <laughs> no, I did get a lot of experience, but finally I emailed him like one last time and he got back to me and said, um, Rachel, 
your persistence has been rewarded. Um, <laughs> this person is going to get in touch with you. I still have this email. Um, and yes, would like to give you a job on the Paralympics. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it was the best job ever. I got to go down and work on the um, equestrian at Greenwich and then wow. the road cycling at Brands Hatch and the marathon at the Mall. So the whole two yeah. weeks, just crazy. My first instruction to what I wanted to do, which mm. was working in sport. That was kind of in my head, sports, media, something. And yeah, persistence pays off. <laughs> persistence pay- it's so funny you say that because obviously being in the same industry, I've gone to so many talks and blah, blah, blah about um, the best way to get in. It's always the classic. And um, they always say like, don't bombard production companies. I hate that. Like, don't even try. And <laughs> you are saying this, but I love that. I mean, if I was if I was in charge of a production company and someone was coming to me every month being like, I'm so passionate about this, obviously you'd want to hire them because they clearly like love it and breathe it and want it, you know? I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't think I was annoying. I'm always very tactful with my emails. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I, you know, when deep down, you know that you'd be a great fit for that job. But it was this mm. once in a lifetime opportunity, wasn't it? 2012 mm. was never going to come back around again. Probably not in our lifetime. We're going to have Olympic Games in this country. So it was something that I just felt I had to really try. And I did every time he kind of said, well, you're not quite there. I was like, well... What do I have to do? Um, yeah. Anyway, guys, it does pay off. <laughs> Love that. So after the Paralympics, you carried on in sports broadcasting, right? Yeah. After the Paralympics, I then, one of the companies, again, this is how then TV kind of rolls on, doesn't it? You you meet someone in one production and they go, do you want to have a job in another one? So BT Sport mm-hmm. was la- launching the year after, yeah, 2013. And um the guys that hired me on the Paras said, did you want to come over and interview for BT Sport as a role in production? I was like, absolutely, yes. Like, where do I sign up? So I got a great job as a researcher on a show called um, the BT Sport Panel Show with Tim Lovejoy and Matt Dawson hosting it. And it was like this all sports, really mad, like four hour Saturday morning entertainment sports show, really. So it was fun, um, really long hours, but great team we had with us. And every Saturday when we had a laugh, really, um, and did that for a year. And then they were, I think they just bought the rights to the Premier League or the Champions League BT Sport had. So it was really going football heavy. And so this show was no longer a fit. So they were kind of like, oh, you know, doesn't really work. Um, we're going to, you know, have to let you go because a couple of people on the team were going off into very specific sports like UFC and mm. someone was a massive rugby fan and that wasn't really what they wanted me for. So I was like, oh gosh, okay. But then the the head at the time of BT Sport came up to me and was like, well, um, we we really like you, Rachel. We really like your personality and, you know, would you like to have a go? Um, I'm saying this in inverted commas being a trainee sports like reporter presenter and I was like oh gosh I don't know call my mum up I'm like mum great news not so great news and she like I explained and um she was like well what's the worst that's gonna happen you know Mm. you can always reset after it doesn't if it doesn't work that kind of thing but I was this girl that never used to answer the phone when I was younger she was like you know you're gonna go and stand up and in front of people and like talk. I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, yeah, you have a go at this, right? She's like, um, I did. Uh, I said yes. 
I was terrible. Like, I don't even want to look back on what I did at the beginning. Um, I don't know. I was, I was going <laughs> to ask laughing. you because you're such, you're such a natural interviewer now, like having watched some of your stuff. And like, I was going to ask, did that, does that come naturally to you or, or was that something you really, like trained for quite hard? Uh, oh, I, again, okay. There was no training. They lied. They didn't really? ever give me a single day of any advice. Actually, the one piece of advice I got from one guy at BT Sport, uh, he said, it's how you start and how you finish. No one remembers what you say in the middle. I was like, really? <laughs> okay, great. Let's take that advice on board. No, I don't. But basically he was saying, as long as you really like have a great introduction and an outro to something you're saying, it doesn't really matter if you kind of have a little bit of a blip, I think in the middle what he, is what he was saying. But um, back to your question, guys, don't take that advice. It's rubbish. Um, <laughs> back to your question. I don't know. I think... I think it was easier, like interviews, in my opinion, are slightly easier anyway. Um, mm. I used to hate having to remember lines. I still do, really. Like when you're just told to read links or something, mm. because you haven't particularly written them, I find they're just a little bit boring and you have to kind of be a certain way if they want certain energy. Whereas if you're doing a live show, that to me is so much more fun because you have time and you can just kind of talk about a subject you know really well. So... I don't know. Like, did I struggle? Interviews, I don't think so. Live stuff, no. It's actually, which some people probably find really easy, the reading, reading out and regurgitating of little, little links. I'm just like, oh, gosh, mm. they're really boring. But, yeah, <laughs> anyway, that was, um, yeah. That was kind the, of, um, who's the went. best person you've ever interviewed or the, the person that you were most nervous for and sort of a bit starstruck by? Oh, you know, one thing is I don't really get starstruck. I'm, I've never been like a massive fangirl of anybody. Um, mm. And that's quite, I think, a good thing, especially if you're mm. working in something that you love doing. Um, gosh, I'm really struggling to think of anyone I've been. You know, someone who does um, make you a little bit nervous is Andy Murray. <laughs> don't know why. <laughs> Actually, maybe I do know why. Um <laughs> Just because you know how he is, he can be quite sarcastic and a little bit kind yeah. of um, standoffish. But he's, you know, he's lovely. But he and his brother Jamie, actually, actually, and his mum. I've interviewed all three of them. <laughs> They're quite. They make me a little bit nervous. But um, no, I can yeah. see that. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> but other, otherwise, I think everyone's pretty easy. I'm sure I'd get nervous if I interviewed someone like um, David Beckham or oh Ronaldo. Gosh, Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo would be nerve wracking. Um, yeah, hundred percent. They're on my list. <laughs> do you um again do you ever wonder what would have happened if you just sort of turned down the opportunity because as you said you know it what it, it doesn't come naturally to you at first and you're not sort of like what well, you said that you're quite a shy kid so it, in hindsight I guess the easy option would have just been to like oh no I'll just you know find another production job but are you are you are you obviously glad that you've done it but do you ever think what would happen if you hadn't yeah I guess like you just said I would have just probably had a little kind of time out to to look around and, and see what else was going. But I guess I would have still liked to have been in sport in some capacity, but I'm sure if I hadn't have taken the opportunity that I got offered, I'd probably be sitting in a lot of, uh, you know, productions I'd work on going, oh yeah, I could have been that person there, mm. you know? Oh yeah, that looked like a, a fun job. Um, and, you know, there may be a bit of a regret there. And mm. I think, you know, you could take opportunities that come your way even if they do push you out of your comfort zone, which that massively did. Um, 
because you you just never know and I think everyone has to have a chance to to learn and grow um Mm -hmm. because no one can be excellent straight away I you know I do think everyone needs a bit of time and if someone allows you that time who knows what what you can do where you can go Mm -hmm. and it must be so brilliant being able to sort of travel with with your job um that's something I've always wanted to do yeah sure that's one of the one of the best things, I guess, and not much happening right now, unfortunately. Um, mm. But yeah, I've been super lucky. Uh, the last couple of years in particular um, have been a whirlwind, really, in terms of traveling. Um, I was very lucky to work on the World Cup trophy tour, actually. So before the World Cup in 2018, um, I went with Coca-Cola on some kind of tour around the world with the world cup i mean random and fun so yeah they had a little like private jet with the world cup on and they would go to different countries and literally just parade the world cup around um it was as simple as that and i'd make a few videos um so it was great and what's great about traveling with work is that they're kind of like right so you have to then go and um, film with the trophy and all these iconic landmarks. So you're basically just being a tourist and <laughs> saying a link in a lovely location. So it was really like a great trip. I was really lucky to do that with some really great guys who, you know, I still work with on different jobs now. That's always great. You can really bond with the people you're with. Um, so that was quite cool. And then you mentioned actually in the intro, one of my favorite jobs because it was Again, I shouldn't say, but it was a little bit easy. It was, I was hosting a um, <laughs> marathon for Channel 4 in Tobago. And so they said, do you want to go out there for a week to um, present this marathon? And I was like, yeah, sure. Obviously, the marathon was only on one day. It's on, takes three <laughs> hours in the morning. So I was like, lovely. Um, so I was with like five great guys and we basically did an eating tour of the island. We oh, went the through dream. TripAdvisor of all these little beach shacks and then we had to get up at, okay, 2 a.m. to go and cover a marathon because it started at some ungodly hour because of the heat in the rainforest. But um, wow. again, such a great trip to cover a sport that, you know, you loved and you mm. were excited to watch anyway. So mm. uh, it was a pretty much a holiday watching a running race. So it was, it was really great. So yeah, really lucky to, to do some great traveling with it um, and hope once everything's sorted, we can do so many more trips. Cause oh, it yeah, I it, hope so. Yeah, makes it worthwhile. But now that you're presenting British Superbikes, right? British Superbikes yeah. Championships, um, which obviously is quite like a different setup to what you've done in the past. And I just wondered, I mean, it's quite a male-dominated zone. So it, being a female presenter in that environment, what is that like? Yeah, I mean, when I first got the job, actually, because I didn't really... Um, I didn't really know much about it. I'm not going to lie. Everyone knows this. Um, I got a kind of an email saying, oh, it was actually on Christmas Eve in 2017, I think it was. Do you want to come and screen test for this show from Eurosport? I was like, oh gosh, do I? Like, do I want to learn bikes? Mm-hmm. Anyway, cut a long story short. I went to the screen test. I done my research. They, you know, offered me the job. And then I, ha- and then I said to them, can I have all the videos from last season? It was actually DVDs at the time. Can you imagine that? They put everything on DVD three years ago <laughs> still. And I watched the whole um, 2017 season. And so I really knew my stuff because I, you know, I didn't want to go in there 
not knowing my stuff. But still, going back to kind of your question, um, when they announced me on Twitter for Eurosport, there was a load of people being like, what the hell does this, you know, typical blonde, like pit lane reporter know about bikes? And that really kind of made me quite, not upset, but worried, I guess, going mm. into going, oh, wow, you know, I've done a load of homework, but what if it doesn't come across that I know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, but genuinely, it's one of my favorite jobs. The paddock, yeah, is pretty male dominated. There's actually only four female riders in the whole competition. Um, and, and three of them are really young. I think the youngest is about 15. And then there's a a top rider who's a female um, called Jane Timoth. She's great. She's the um, Isle of Man TT record holder. She's also a stunt girl. She like did the Mission Impossible movie. So she's like super cool. Sick. Yeah. Um, so there's some really cool girls in it. But obviously most of the people are male. But the paddock is just the friendliest paddock. Um, the guys, I think I can remember my first day, I basically walked down pit lane and went into every single garage and was like, hi guys, I'm Rachel. I'm going to be interviewing you throughout the whole season. So I was like, just can you like be kind of nice to me and, you know, help me out a bit. And they all kind of laughed at me and, um, that broke the ice. Everyone kind of offers me a cup of tea now and it's great. Um, they really kind of took me under their wing and yeah, there's still, there, there are still girls. A lot of them bring their, you know, girlfriends and, and fiancés down, but it still mm. does have big girls, which mm. doesn't happen now, like in Formula One, for example, but they're still there. And in my opinion, they're, they're paramount because if you speak to any of them, they absolutely love their job and mm. they don't feel like they're kind of objectified at all. So yeah, um, sure. It is a male dominated industry, but one that I guess a lot of sports still are a little bit. I hate mm-hmm. to say that. And I, yeah, I, I feel like they welcome me with open arms. Mm. And so you're still running as well while you've been, you know, all this time, um, continuing your career in TV, you've still managed to like keep the running and then obviously start the podcast. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Running, I found that I kind of came back to it. I kind of found that running I think will always be in my life it's something that I use for kind of many different things really I've made some great friends through running it's something that I like to do to kind of reset after a really long day um and also I like to kind of challenge myself uh mm. so yeah it's pretty important um I was meant to go out to uh LA actually on the day we got locked down my flight was oh, no. the 23rd of March this year because um I'd arranged for a group of girls, actually I'd recruited via Instagram, Instagram's so amazing, um, to run from LA to Vegas with me in like a relay. Uh, So we were going to do a really cool thing called the Speed Project. So it's 350 miles through like Death Valley. um, And you start at Santa Monica Pier and you kind of tag team each other. So you end up doing about 60 miles each um, all the way to the Vegas sign. And unfortunately, obviously it got cancelled. So we're down to, to do it next year. But, um, running, yeah, I do some, I do some crazy stuff. Like <laughs> my mate and I for my birthday went and ran around Jersey. It's 48 miles for fun. Like that's the kind of thing we like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're trying to actually, instead of do the, the run across America thing, 
we're going to try and run across the UK. It's like 390 miles. So it's similar. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, in about October. So we're going to... We've got oh, a, good luck with call, that. Yeah, Zoom call tonight to finalise <laughs> a few things. Um, but I've been in map hell, Google map hell, going across. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. Running, yeah, running will never leave me. And that's why I, we did a podcast, my my friend Amana and I, um, mm. because we love it. She's maybe a little bit more keener in terms of times than me. Mm. I did my kind of really focused, serious running as I mentioned when I was younger. So for me, it's just about having a bit of an adventure and a bit of freedom, but that kind of works nicely when it comes to a podcast because there's two different sides of a, a story coming together. And we just interview some really great people. Um, and they kind of hopefully inspire others who are kind of starting their running journey. That's, that's the plan. Yeah. If it sure. happens, we hope it does. <laughs> Cool. So we're going to go on to play Millennial Minesweeper now. Okay. Um, so our first one is people who are fit in their later life are usually the ones who made wiser cho- choices during their teens and 20s. False. Yeah. So that one was put on the internet in an article called 30 Things You Must Do Before You Turn 30, which in itself is ridiculous because the idea we have to do anything before any age. But anyway, that's, okay. that's a whole other kettle of fish. Okay, so uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but the um, wiser choices bit annoys me slightly. I don't know about you, but I, when I listen to your podcast, you talk about you have guests on who've come to running sort of later in life, you know, mums mm. who then, you know, become runners. And and um, I just think that quotes like that sort of make it sound like it's too late, you know? Yeah, I don't think so at all. Like the lady we had on, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, I feel like she, like fate basically made her get into running because she didn't come to running till she had a couple of kids. She had no money and was like, what can I do to get fit for free? And so she decided mm. to go running and then she was at a park run and someone took a picture of her, unknowingly took a picture of her. And that basically led to her being in a, a Marks and Spencer's running campaign and absolutely catapulted her into this kind of running world. And she said she was working at Wessex Water and she's now a full-time running blogger and mummy runner. And she was like over nine years from me having my kids to going to one park run and being terribly slow and therefore someone taking a picture of me um, going to achieve great things. And she was like, it's just, you never know when something's going to present itself to you and you should you know, really take it. And that was her taking the opportunity to be a, a model in a Marks and Spencer's running running catalogue. And she was like, I've never done that um, if I hadn't have gone out to, you know, this great that run. Yeah. That is crazy. Cool. So our second one is rules are made to be broken. Plans are made to be changed. Do you reckon made up or on the internet? On the internet. No, so I made that one up. Oh, sounds like it would be true though, doesn't it? (laughs) I'm not making it easy. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I just... All the time. (laughs) Yeah. It was just like listening to your story and stuff. Like obviously you had these big plans to be at the Olympics and, and follow this, you know, professional athletic career and like those plans obviously drastically changed and that that is actually okay. Um. And I think especially for me this year, I've gone through like a a struggle 
with when things don't go to plan and everything gets thrown off and but actually trying to realize that it's okay for that to happen is um quite important oh gosh absolutely I think you know you've just got to roll with it um and like I said things do somehow have have a funny way of you know working themselves out so if you just kind of let it go and uh yeah just kind Mm. of chill out don't stress out about it I think I'm, I'm learning that a lot just kind of to roll with it a bit more and enjoy it so yeah and as you said earlier on like we're all so desperate for like immediacy and things to happen right now mm-hmm. um and I think that definitely plays into it because you know we have our plans we try and stick to them and then when they don't work out it's like oh oh god like time 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 but actually no you are right it is about enjoying the journey as cliche yeah, as that sounds for sure so our final one is many parents of today's 20-somethings will tell you that they were too busy working and raising babies to even think about having a quarter-life crisis. Oh, I say that the raising babies, yes. Were they too busy working? Mm. Oh, I mean, my mum was a stay-at-home mum. She wasn't working. Um, I'm going to say that's in the paper, though. Or in the yeah, online. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was from an article called Understanding 20-somethings is Different from Knowing a 20-something. And it was quite interesting because it was basically saying how like our parents don't really, our parents' generation don't really understand what 20-somethings go through now because it is such a different world that we live in. Um, in terms of, you know, we're coming to work later, we're exploring our options more, we're in more relationships, we're doing different shit, like as opposed to settling down in our 20s. Um, yeah, it was quite interesting for sure. Yeah, I don't know about you know your mum. My mum met my dad when she was like nineteen, and mm-hmm. they're still together. I'm like, doesn't happen like that now, mum. You know, and she's like, go and find a nice boy, Rachel. I'm like, doesn't happen like that, mum. Like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. Yeah, <laughs> no rush. It will happen when it happens. <laughs> you know what, mum? I know. Like. I know. Classic. It's also that like quarter life crisis thing though in that in that quote, and I was like, I'm trying to think. Oh, I'm guessing that means 25, right? Or yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've heard of a midlife crisis, but I don't really, I don't really know if that happens all that much. I think quarter my mum thought I had a, a 30. I turned 30 in February. I think she thought I had a 30 life crisis because I was like, I'm learning to ride a motorbike and I'm running across <laughs> the country in America and I'm doing. And she's like, what? Sorry, you're doing what? <laughs> Uh, I was like, "Yep, yeah, great." She's like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, I'm "Absolutely great, Mum. Thanks." So, uh, I think I had mine, and yeah, come out the other side. Oh, brilliant! Thank you so much, Rachel. This has been such a fun chat. I really hope you've enjoyed it. Oh yeah, thank you so much, Emma, for having me. Um, it was really lovely to be on and to chat to you. Rachel, it was so lovely chatting to you. If there are any keen runners out there listening to this, I would really recommend Rachel's Keep Running podcast. You can find that on iTunes or Spotify. Um, She's got some really interesting guests on there and it definitely gets you motivated. As always, a big thanks to the composer and producer of this podcast, Pete Haff, and a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening. I love hearing your suggestions and reading your reviews, so please do keep them coming in. And yeah, I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will see you very soon.